0: Thanks for listening to the Grace First Podcast. If you want to know more about us, head on over to gracefirst.church. Or, if you're in the Wichita area, come visit us, Sundays at 1015. Well, in 2006, a social media platform called Twitter, it came out. Now it's called X, and you could send out a message or a tweet that was about 140 characters, which comes out to about 20 to 40 words. And it's now increased to about 280. You can send this to your friends or to the public, but your tweet was limited. It was only limited to now, which is about 280 characters. But the idea was that we have entered into a time where most people don't want to read long posts and stories. We want brevity. We want concise summaries. Now, I'm afraid this kind of a social platform, the social media platform, along with the others, has enabled quite a few negative behavioral patterns in our generation, one of which is the ability to hold a person's attention, especially during church, during sermons. But there are also useful skills that Twitter can help develop, like the ability to summarize and paraphrase. And you can make your statements clearly through thoughtful consideration. This is a very important skill in the real world. When you're communicating verbally or through documents, you want your statements to be concise with a clear objective, and every word counts. Well, in 2011, some colleges, including including Brandeis University, I believe University of Maryland was doing this, they were asking for a tweet version of college admission essays. Tell us in 40 words or less why we should let you into our school. Well, this kind of a test can be extremely stressful for seniors in high school who are trying to figure out their next four years of life. Well, in one job interview, I was asked to give a 30-second elevator pitch to the president on a current political issue. This issue had to be concisely summarized. It had to be uh, very carefully analyzed, and your recommendations had to be made very clearly all within 30 seconds. The ability to summarize and speak with clear precision, and uh, this, this is a highly valued skill that people are looking for. And if you can do that really well, firms and companies will pay you really well, especially in the field of law. But summarizing long and wordy documents into concise statements like a tweet is nothing new. For a society to function with civility, laws are required for the people. And if laws are required, then those who can come up with laws and interpret laws are also required and they are called lawyers. They are trained to carefully interpret long lists of rules and regulations and provide helpful summaries in words that most people can understand. Have you ever read through the fine print when that new updated agreement comes through that you have to hit agree? Have you read through all of them? Well, you may have realized that it's pretty long. And you may have also realized that you may not enjoy reading as much as you thought you did. Or that you're as patient as you once thought you were. Because let's face it, most people don't want to read all the legal agreement there. Most of us ask for a summary, right? We say, give us a notes version of it. Give us a sparks notes version. Summarize it in a tweet format. Now, if you're dealing with an important legal document, like a will or a major contract, a lawyer is often the person who will help you navigate through uh, the legal challenges. Well, this morning, we're going to encounter a lawyer in our text. In our passage this morning in Mark, we're told that this is a scribe. And Matthew's gospel in uh, chapter 22 calls him a lawyer. But this is the same role. Scribes were people who copied the texts of the Old Testament scripture, and their work was to study, copy, and interpret the laws of God. So due to their knowledge and their expertise in the the laws of the Old Testament, they were also called lawyers. For this reason, the scribes were respected authorities in the Jewish communities. The Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, contains 613 laws given to the Israelites by God. And there were a lot more laws which were actually given to them by the Pharisees, uh, the, the ruling elders. And they had categorized them uh, to light and heavy laws, which they added on top of the scripture. Well, just like most of us, when we receive that new terms of agreement from Apple or Android or Facebook, we're not going to read through it all. We want a summary. So this morning what we're going to see is a summary of all those 613 laws of the Old Testament. If Jesus had Twitter, this would have been his ultimate tweet summary of the Old Testament. in in his summary is still applicable to us today. So this is a big idea that I want you to walk away with this morning. And that is, love the Lord Jesus Christ with all that you are. Love the Lord your God, Jesus Christ, with all that you are. Now, this is a packed statement, so we're going to spend some time unpacking this as we walk through our passage in Mark chapter 12. And along the way, I'm going to point out some key markers, the road markers as we walk. And we're going to first see the greatest law. Then we will see why this is the law of love. And finally, we will see why Jesus is the Lord of love. So we will see the greatest law, the law of love, and the Lord of love. So turn your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Let me provide a brief context of our passages this morning. If you recall, we're in the last week of Jesus' ministry leading to his crucifixion. The Sanhedrin, which was the buffer organization between the Roman Empire and the the Jews, uh, they were composed of 71 members of the chief priests, the ruling elders, and the scribes. And they sent uh, delegates to trap Jesus in order to kill him. First, the Pharisees and the Herodians try to trap Jesus with a question about taxes. Second, the Sadducees try to trap him with their bogus question rooted in ignorance and unbelief about a woman's marital status in heaven. And this morning we're going to see round three of their tests from the scribes. But the question that is posed to Jesus from this particular scribe is very different than the first two attacks. And as we read this section, I want you to try to notice and try to figure out what is different about this man's question than the first two attacks that we have seen. So let's read verses 28 through 31. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Notice for the first time in chapter 12 in their series of attacks, Jesus is encountered by an individual scribe and not by a group. And what makes this man's interaction with Jesus different than the first two attacks is that this guy is completely sincere. He is sincere. His curiosity and sincerity does not represent the rest of the scribes and their organized beliefs. This man stands alone. He is the exception. His conversation uh, as an expert of the law with Jesus, it serves to confirm Jesus as the greatest interpreter of the law. So here we see in our first point in your outline, in Jesus' response, and that is the greatest law. This command is also commonly referred to as the great commandment. You may have heard that term before. The original Greek word used for most important in his question in verse 28 in Jesus' response is the word protos. This is where we get our word proto, as in a prototype, the first. The King James translates this literally and states first of all. But the concept of the first in this context was also the most important. One of my favorite fictional instructors of all times is Mr. Miyagi from the movie Karate Kid, my favorite. And Mr. Miyagi had two rules of karate written on the wall. He had these calligraphy uh, scrolls on the walls on both sides. And the first rule was, karate is for defense only. And then on the other side of the wall, he had another calligraphy uh, poster that says, and this was his rule number two. And the second rule was, First, learn rule number one. His first rule was his foremost rule, the most important one. Well, likewise, most of our translations will state what is the most important command of all, which is right meaning that is conveyed here. Because Mister, like Mister Miyagi's first is the foremost. This is the most important of them all. The NASB renders foremost of all which I think is the closest meaning that is conveyed. So the question was really about which law is preeminent? In other words, which law is greatest of all? Well, Jesus answers this very clearly by reciting what we read earlier in Deuteronomy 6. This passage is also known as the Shema, like I said, Here, the Hebrew for hear Israel, uh, since it begins with hear Israel. And it's memorized and sung by Jews around the world as well as seminary students. The main point of his uh, answer here is that the greatest law is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You are to love the Lord your God with all that you are. This means every part of your being and your existence is to turn to God to love and embrace the divine relationship that He gives us through Jesus Christ. We are to love the Lord our God with all your heart. The Old Testament understanding of the heart was tied to our emotions and feelings. Here we are to cultivate a desire that is holy and that is good. And most importantly, We must cultivate a desire to enjoy God as we uh, we mature spiritually see Jesus as our supreme desire. Church, what is your greatest desire? Is it Jesus and to see his kingdom come? Or is it some other fleeing happiness that is based elsewhere? Our Lord Jesus must be the purpose of our lives and it must be, he must be the summit of our desires we are to love him with all your soul the understanding of the soul is tied to our volition and will your choice and priorities matter to god corporate worship on sundays with your church family studying god's word and serving others are priorities that he desires for you are your priorities aligned with god's priorities Are you pursuing commitments according to his desires or according to the world's desires? This may be sports, video games, dating relationships, or even climbing the corporate ladder. And though none of these things are unbiblical or evil in themselves, when we solely pursue them relentlessly, they can easily become our idols. It's easy to fall into a routine that is less than God's best for us when we prioritize what the world thinks is best. God desires to see your best. Prioritize your commitments according to His priorities. This is how we love Him, with all your soul. We are also to love Him with all your mind. A Wheaton College professor, Mark Knoll, Wrote a book called The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. The scandal of the evangelical mind, he began, is that there is not much of an evangelical mind. Our thinking, quite frankly, is weak. We should not be bullied by the irrational arguments of our culture that considers Christians as intolerant and cannot rationally defend what they believe. We should hate sloppy thinking and illogical reasoning. We can always devote more time to strengthening our minds to love God in a more intellectual way. Too often, we seek entertainment and we seek seek social media over actively studying to help others better understand the gospel. Rather, we should be studying apologetics, church history, Bible studies, and theology. As disciples of Christ, we must be students of his word. I'm so encouraged to see many of you in here plugged into Sunday school groups. You know, this was actually one of the, uh, the key points for me when, when coming to Grace First was that many of you were involved in Sunday schools. And these are wonderful places where we can grow and strengthen our mind. This is where you can grow to love the Lord your God with all your mind. And if you're not part of our Sunday school program, I want to highly encourage you to join We have knowledgeable and godly teachers that teach Sunday schools from the the young to the the adults here at this church. And if you are a a man of 18 years of age or older, I want to highly encourage you to come to our men's group. This is on Thursday nights every other week where we sharpen one another's thinking through Scripture, through doctrine. And we learn theology, apologetics, and Christian leadership so that you can serve as a powerful man of God both in the local church and in your calling. Yes, we must love him with all of our hearts, but we must also not neglect him to love him with all your mind. Finally, we must love the Lord with all your strength. Now, this is an interesting concept in the Old Testament. It's not necessarily talking about our physical strength, but it refers to your whole being. In order to truly appreciate and understand this Old Testament concept, we need a short Hebrew lesson. Do you remember the story of David and Bathsheba? We're told in 2 Samuel 11, from the roof, David saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman, we're told. Now, the Hebrew word for good or pleasant or beautiful here is the word tov. Say that with me, tov. If you go to Israel, you can say that and people will not understand you. It's a common word they use like shalom. So when God created the heavens and the earth, after every each day, he saw that it was tov. But when he saw all that he had made, behold, it was tov me'od. In other words, it was very good. Well, Bathsheba was tov me'od. In other words, she was... Beautiful in, in all his sight. Exceedingly good. Are you picking up on the meaning of the word meod? Well, we are to love God with all of your meod. Okay, Meodekah, it says. That you are to love him with all of your exceedingliness of all of your life. There is no crevice or any part of you that is to escape from the... Uh, that, that can escape from the meaning of this word. You must love the Lord your God with all that you are. Your heart, soul, mind, body, all of who you are is to love the Lord your God. And only then, when your love is rightly prioritized, can you truly love your neighbor as yourself. Your love for others will flow through your loving relationship with Christ. This is how God has called us as his children to order our lives. By first prioritizing him and loving him first and foremost, then through that established love with God, we can begin to love our neighbor according to his commands. As Jesus said himself, there is no commandment greater than these. The most important law for believers is to love the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's continue on and read the lawyer's response to Jesus' answer here. Join me in verse 32. We're going to read uh, 32 through 34. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Notice here again that the scribe's response is a positive one. He says, you are right in saying that. He affirms Jesus' interpretation of the law, and he repeats Jesus almost word for word. But in his confirmation at the end of verse 33, he recognizes that loving God is the greater priority than obeying the sacrificial system. Now, why would he say that? What was the underlying understanding for the Jews? The Jews in those days we're taught to live according to the old testament and one jewish priest from the 3rd century bc said this he said by three things is the world sustained by the torah by the temple worship which is its sacrificial system and by deeds of love which meant they held a high view of the torah the temple worship and deeds of love what's remarkable is this Jewish scribe is affirming Jesus in prioritizing the deeds of love to God and to others over the sacrificial system. This man, though he is a Jewish scribe, understood that the law of love was of greater importance than burnt offerings. He was not far from the kingdom of God. He was one step away from entering into the kingdom by faith in Jesus Christ. The one who fulfills the law of love is Jesus. And this is your second point in your outline. The law of love is greater than the law of sacrifice. Jesus has fulfilled the law of sacrifice and has empowered us to love. Through Christ, our love for God unleashes our love of God. To walk with Jesus is to love. I have known several Muslim friends and colleagues over the years and if you were to ask them to summarize their religion, the religion of Islam, in one word, they would say submission or peace, which is a root word, salam, Islam, where that comes from. But if we were to ask, how would we summarize Christianity in one word, well that word would be love. It is love. Because God is love, and we are to love him and to love one another. Listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 4. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I've had people ask in the past, especially teenagers in ministry, said, you know, there are so many commands and and there are so many rules to obey as Christians. You have to go to church. You have to remain uh, sexually pure before marriage. You have to uh, tell people about Jesus. You have to read the Bible. You have to pray. And you have to tell more people about Jesus. I don't know if I can follow all these rules. How can I obey them all, they would say. And the answer is simple. Instead of seeing and treating Jesus as a religion, you must embrace him in the relationship. If you look at a marriage from a list of don'ts, okay, don't do this or don't do that, it will seem very daunting and it will seem very intimidating to you. But if you look at it from the law of love, in the context of a loving and committed relationship, you will thrive. Instead of seeing a marriage as a list of don'ts, like don't keep score, don't be rude, or don't give the wrong answer if she asks if a certain dress makes her look less than attractive. See your marriage as a relationship of dues. Do love your spouse. Do enjoy her company. Then out of your love for your spouse, you will treat them with respect. You won't keep a record of wrongs, and you won't say the wrong thing if she asks you about that dress. Likewise, Walking with Christ will seem daunting if you see it as a list of rules. But remember the law of love. Walking with Christ is about one thing at the end of the day. Being loved by him and walking in love with him as we love others as he loved us. That's it. It is about love. And it is through that love you will gladly obey all his commands Because he will be your all in all. And he will meet and satisfy your greatest desires. Love is what Christian discipleship is all about. Church, love the Lord your Jesus Christ with all that you are. God is love. Jesus' response has silenced a series of attacks from the Sanhedrin And from that point on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is a clear declaration of Mark that Jesus has won. The debate is over. He shut them up. And now it's his turn. Let's look at his question in our last section. Join me in verse 35. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, Why do teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. It was now Jesus' turn to ask the questions. Notice where he is teaching. He's in the temple courts. This is the domain of the Jewish rulers. It is the seat of the Sanhedrin authority. Jewish laws and policies are determined here. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribe are listening. The question Jesus raises in public is about the Messiah's ancestry, which the Apostle Peter declared in private. All the Jewish teachers knew and declared that the Messiah was going to come from the line of David since God had made that covenant with King David. We read earlier from Psalm 110, uh, as uh, Sean read for us, this was a psalm written by King David. And we read that the Lord said to my Lord. Now in most of your Bibles, when you see the, the word Lord in all caps in the Old Testament, This is a word that's referring to the name of God, and it's Yahweh. The Hebrew word for uh, for, for his proper name is Yahweh, as in my name is Tim, and God's name is Yahweh. Then when you see the lowercase, Lord, it's the word Adonai, which means master or boss in our common day language. And so here we have David declaring, Yahweh said to my boss, sit at my right hand. And this begs the question then, who then is David's boss? Certainly the Messiah, who is the Savior and the Christ, will indeed come from the line of David as the son of David, but he will surpass David's lineage. Jesus' main point, and the main point of Psalm 110 here, is that the Messiah is to be understood as David's Lord. Christ is not simply David's son, but he is God's Son. Now, in Jesus' question here, there's no explicit indication that Jesus is the Messiah from David's line, but the listeners and the readers are to fill in that blank through Peter's declaration of Jesus as the Christ and through Bartimaeus' call of a son of David to Jesus. Jesus is the Lord and Messiah whom David declared. His master. This is a very clear Old Testament passage that declares Jesus as the Messiah. So much so that Peter later used this in his sermon in Acts chapter 2 to declare Jesus as the Christ. But who can possibly self-declare one's identification as the one sent by God himself? What's interesting about how Jesus answered the scribe earlier in verse 29, when Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, he could have just effectively answered that by answering the scribe by starting in verse 30. He could have just said, the greatest one is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That would have been more direct and concise. But he began by prefacing his answer by affirming Yahweh, the one God of Israel, The Lord our God is one. So why did Jesus do this? The Messiah, who can rightly interpret and declare the law of love to be the supreme law, is the one God of Israel who has revealed himself as the Son of God in the flesh. Yahweh has revealed himself as the one triune God in three persons, of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The three persons are eternally relational in one God, where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are of the same divine substance, but are three distinct persons. The three persons are not separate. We have to keep that in mind. They're not separate. They are one, but they are distinct. This is the great mystery of the Trinity. But through the Son, He has revealed Himself in this way though it may be difficult for our finite minds and our limited brain capacity to fully understand this concept of the one triune God, we are to receive this truth by faith as it was taught by Jesus and the apostles. You see, what the doctrine of the Trinity reveals to us is that our God is the Lord of love. This is your final point in your outline. You see, he is the God of love who eternally existed in three persons. The love within himself in the three persons in one God was perfectly loving and perfectly sufficient. He didn't need the creation, but he created because he is love. The creation is the outpouring expression of his power and his love. And when he had finished, he said... And he saw that it was very good. It was tov meod. And yet, we who were created in his image to reflect his glory and to rule with him could not love him as we ought. Though we are commanded to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, we cannot and we will not do this as we should. And in our rebellion of sin, we want nothing to do with God. As a result, we were cut off from his holy presence, left to justly suffer the consequences of our sin, even to an eternal separation and punishment in hell. A church, he is the Lord of love. We read that in 1 John 4, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, the Father sent us the Son. And the Son bled for our salvation and secured our victory. And the Holy Spirit lives in us to transform us so that by faith in the Son, we can live a life of love, fulfilling the law of love. We can now live a life reconciled to God, to be loved by Him. A life renewed to love Him as we ought. And a life overflowing with His love to love our neighbor as we ought. All this is possible, not through our sheer willpower, nor through our our selfish, righteous desires, but only by the power of the Holy Spirit who makes us more like Jesus every day so that we can love like Jesus. What we cannot fulfill in the way that we love, see, Jesus fulfilled for us through the cross. And by his Spirit who dwells in us, he fulfills through us the greatest law of love, he is the Lord of love. And we can love Him because He first loved us. So how can you possibly capture all of what God requires us of us in a simple tweet? Love the Lord Jesus Christ with all that you are. To love Him is the greatest law of them all. He who is the Lord of love has fulfilled that great command through his sacrificial love that we may now love him and love others as we ought. We who have been redeemed by the love of God know what that love is because he first loved us. So let us go and let us love as he loved as we walk by the Spirit to be the light of his love. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray together. As we reflect in our time of prayer, I want to invite you this week of Thanksgiving to give thanks to God. To give thanks to God for the Trinity. That the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit has loved us from eternity past and has sent the Son that we may know Him. Let's spend a moment giving thanks.